If you have to puke, don't puke on the bones, I said. Laughter, bravado on the surface, nervousness underneath skittered through the group of students. Most of the thirty bleary-eyed undergraduates milling outside the wooden gate of the body farm would be fine. But judging from my experience in prior years, and my assessment of several queasy-looking faces today, a couple of these kids would lose their breakfast. It was a sunny Saturday morning in late April. The spring semester was winding down. Many of my students were desperate for extra credit, and the body farm, my outdoor human decomposition research lab at the University of Tennessee, was due for its spring cleaning. Spring cleaning at the body farm didn't involve dusting, weeding, or collecting empty beer cans. Spring cleaning, body farm style, involved collecting bones, bare and not so bare, and hauling them into the processing facility for simmering and scrubbing. A Saturday morning might not be the kindest time to schedule the project, I reflected. Even under the best of circumstances, tugging bones from leatherized skin and plucking them from greasy, decomp-saturated dirt was not a task for the faint of heart or the weak of stomach. For young novices whose Friday night parties had given way to Saturday morning hangovers, it could be particularly nausea-inducing. It was not entirely in jest that my facility, the Anthropology Research Facility, or ARF, was sometimes called the Brockton Anthropology Research Facility. Barf. Unlocking the padlock on the outer chain-link fence, I swung the gate open, the corner of the gate scraping an arc across the asphalt for the final few feet. Then I unlocked the heavy chain securing the inner wooden gate, part of an eight-foot-high privacy fence that shielded the body farm's rotting residents from prying eyes and delicate sensibilities, and led the students into the clearing inside so they could begin the messy work of cleaning up. Today's bumper crop of skeletons, we planned to harvest 40, had spent anywhere from six months to a year and a half ripening at the body farm. Most of the bodies had been donated, either through the wills of the donors themselves or by their families after death. A handful, though, were unidentified or unclaimed bodies from medical examiners in various Tennessee counties, John Doe's, Jane Doe's, and, in a few cases, people whose identities were known, but who had no loved ones to claim them and bury them. My graduate assistant, Miranda Lovelady, divided the students into ten three-member teams. Two team members would collect and bag the bones, and the third would document each bone as it was found. Next, she handed each team a topographic map of the facility's three fenced acres, with X's and case numbers marking the location of every set of remains. On each team's map, four X's were highlighted in bright pink, indicating which four skeletons the team was responsible for bagging. Miranda's many jobs as my assistant included overseeing the osteology lab and tracking body donations. As a result, she tended to have a better handle than I did on who was out here, and where, and since when. Following in Miranda's wake was another graduate student, Nick Costanza. Nick handed each team four red plastic biohazard bags, as well as four copies of a diagram of the human skeleton. The diagram showed the bones of the body in outline form. As each bone was found and bagged, its outline on the diagram was to be inked in, creating a visual checklist of the skeletal elements. I didn't expect us to find every single...